Welcome to Caleb Can't Read. I'm Jordan Rabel. I'm Caleb Terrence. Don't, you're going to kick over your 40. <laughs> just careful with the fucking table. Well, let me just ask you a hypothetical here. Let's say somebody brings you into your home. They brings feed you. you into your home? Bring. You want, you want, you want to. Look, you broke you my shit. <laughs> you broke my shit. All right. I don't. We were, we were having a good time. We were listening to some TLC. And. I walked by with the glass. Apparently, you say you tried to kick me in the ass, but instead what happened was you flung the whole fucking glass out of my hand. You shouldn't have put the glass in the way of my kick. It's <laughs> fair enough. Look, man, can we, just be, can we just be happy that all that was in it was water and not something more viscous? <laughs> That's my cup of syrup. Yeah, that would have sucked. I don't know. <laughs> well, lucky for you, I keep my cup of syrup in my own mini fridge. <laughs> Your fucking wife is just, just, just get the dog. just don't let the dog over there fuck (laughs) what a trooper my wife (laughs) and your fucking face too like you were just like yeah (laughs) you were like yeah you you do that (laughs) well no need to explain it my bad you've got that weird hp lovecraft uh disorder where you like make a quick little jumping motion i just (laughs) you just move too quickly and I moved too quickly. You moved too quickly in it. Wow, that me. is the nicest thing you have ever said about me, and you can't take that back. Really? I think I've said actually that might be. Yeah, that might be. I figured you would have said. Granted, this weird paradox says you move too fast for your fat ass. Yeah, like, we, we don't we don't have a friendship where we're nice to each other. We're just like it's just the verbal abuse that for some reason we find funny. Yeah, once we moved away from our parents, it was like, where else can I fill this void? That's true. <laughs> I don't want to analyze it, man. <laughs> well, let's get started, shall we? You were drinking. Okay, yeah. good. All right. <laughs> Edward Estlin Smooth Cummings. Was Edward, Edward, Edward Edward Estlin Cummings. Nice. Was born October 14th, 1894. You sure you want to open with that? The follow-up might be kind of weak. What? It's pretty good. I could do it smoother. Okay. Well, Edward Estlin Cummings was born October 14th, 1894 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. His mother was, as far as I could tell, a housewife named Rebecca. And his father, a sociology professor at Harvard University, also named Edward. And for this reason, young Edward would often go by his middle name, Estlin. He had what seemed to be a great childhood. He didn't want to go by Cummings. they call me the cum master he had what seemed like a great childhood playing with his older sister elizabeth born just three years before him and other kids who like himself were from a higher social standing than most like the sons of william james known as the father of american psychology and josiah royce a well-known philosopher of his day young estlin would often spend his summers on the shores of silver lake new hampshire where his father had two different houses because they're the whitest people on earth. However, most of their time was spent at the one home called Joy Farm, named after the previous residence, the Joy family. Now, Eslin's parents were devoutly Unitarian, meaning that instead of there being three separate entities to God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is only one entity, God himself. So no, no Triforce there? Correct. Okay. They fucking hated Zelda. All right. They were what? I'm I'm gonna get you off track. I'm sorry. Please proceed. (laughs) They were so devout that eventually Eslin's dad quit his job as a sociology professor at Harvard to become a Unitarian preacher full time. Well, from a young age, Eslin, more than likely resulting from talks with all his fucking buddies who were the sons of philosophers, adopted the idea that there isn't just us and God, but we are all God. Everything is God. Hallelujah. Okay. It's going to be a weird one, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's it's off. Yeah. Now, little We're Eslin an off night, everyone. <laughs> little Eslin was fascinated with poetry and even from a young age knew he wanted to be a poet. But I mean, most kids say shit like that and then change their career path a week later. But not Eslin. No, he wrote poetry every single day from the time he was 8 years old until he was 22. I don't know what stopped him in his tracks. I mean, did he... Sometimes you just get old enough and you look at what you're doing and you're like, actually, I'm ass at this. That's crazy to have that, like, that realization from the time that you were eight, though, and you're just like, oh, this was dumb. Like, 
I don't know. Prob- a group of girls probably laughed him about it or something. That'll <laughs> shut gay. it. That'll shut oh, it. Oh no! Yeah, that'll. Dude, a group of women it. laughing—that's rough. That's yeah. scarring. <laughs> something about it. Like, I mean, did you have any odd? Like, what were your prospects when you were a child? Would you? Th- would you want to be? I don't even remember. I remember because my teacher had to talk with me afterwards. I said I wanted to be an alligator wrestler. That's pretty sick. Right. And also Admirable. also a real job, mind you. And she said I wasn't allowed to be that. And I cried. I said, I want to do this. <laughs> and then I'm pretty sure I changed it to like an astronaut a week later. So, you know, whatever. But still, I remember that. I, I remember telling my grandpa I wanted to be a lumberjack and him being like, that's fucked up. They kill trees. <laughs> and, and look at you now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now I'm like, yeah, that was a dumb decision. <laughs> like, that was a very bad idea. What I find weirder I, is the arson that you'll commit to kill trees in his name. I find that jarring. In whose name? Grandfather. Take this, Grandpa Mike! <laughs> Alejandro! <laughs> Only half of my family isn't white. <laughs> Why would you assume? Like... Well, it's gotta be one of them. <laughs> you got at least four. Maybe well, six. Oh, I thought you meant it's gotta be one of those fucking Spanish names. <laughs> like... <laughs> Eslin Cummings graduated from where else but his father's former workplace, Harvard University in 1915, with a Bachelor's of Art and magna cum laude at the age of just 20. Bachelor of Farts. (laughs) Afterwards, he thought, fuck it, and decided to go back and get his master's just a year later. (laughs) Hang on, hang on. What'd you do? Alright, we're back. You okay, honey? Yes, yes, Poppy. Okay. (laughs) So... Just a year after, uh, yeah, a year after he gets his Bachelor's of Art in Magna Cum Laude, he decides to go back and, or, uh, fuck. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Okay. You fuck- Anyways, okay, how can he, he gets his you bachelor's. type this out and then stumble through it? That's, that's what's maddening to me. <laughs> he, gets, he gets a Bachelor's, decides he's going to get his Master's a year later. He was fucking speedrunning this shit. All this while also the editor of the Harvard Monthly. He quickly got a job with a book dealer after graduation where he would continue learning about more modernist writings. Books like A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce had come out recently, which broke all rules for conventional grammar, as you'll remember. Mm -hmm. But Eslin wasn't settled in life for long before 1917 rolled around and America entered World War I. Knowing that he could be drafted into much more dangerous options, Eslin enlisted into the Ambulance Corps. Didn't even know that was an option. Still dangerous, but you don't have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm assuming. Like, yeah, I yeah. I mean, I think that they still weren't killing medics yet until, like, World War II happened, pretty much. But, like, yeah, they wouldn't shoot people that were just trying to help out, pretty much. It was like, no, 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 that's, that's against the rules. So our mustard gas. Right. Yeah. That's against the rules. Get the flamethrower. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how else am I supposed to get him out of the fucking bunker? <laughs> Great. Well, if they didn't want me to use a flamethrower, they shouldn't have gotten behind a bunch of layers of We skin. tried hunger. We tried rats. We tried gas. Nothing was working. So I, I, I flamed them up. They have led me. They have funneled us to flames. Okay. <laughs> it's on them. <laughs> and it was while on an ocean liner on his way to France that Eslin met fellow Ambulance Corps member William Slater Brown, and they became fast friends. Well, due to a scheduling error... Both Eslin and Will did not receive a single assignment for their first five weeks in Paris. So, of course, they spent their time fucking about. It was here in Paris that Eslin swapped many back-and-forth love letters with French prostitute Marie-Louise Lallemand, starting what he was convinced was a relationship. That's really unfortunate. <laughs> right. It's like you can... <laughs> I think this stripper likes me. Like, how hard... How hard is it to find someone to swap love letters with? You have to pay for swapping love letters? I mean, no. Well, I mean, no. He, he, I'm sure that he sent her some coins, too, which I don't know was insulting or not, but just like, here you go, baby, buy yourself some bread. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that while engaging in that activity, you're like, all right, let's get down to business fucking pants off. Like, no, 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 let no, me talk to you for a minute. But right, like, right, right. yeah. But like, no, I think, I think the whole letter exchange, what was going on there is a lot like when... You've already dropped like $500 on a stripper for the night, you know? And she's like, you know, I really like you. Here's my totally not work number. And my real, real name is, you know, 
Jennifer. And it's like, both of those things are not true, but now you have what think you think is a real number in her real Snapchat, and all it is is to fake you into to spending more money on her again. Oh, I remember that one guy that one time that did not believe that the stripper didn't actually like him? You almost fought him. It's because he was getting <laughs> aggressive about it, and I was like, and I was like, dude, like, you need to calm down. <laughs> like, there is no way... You're going to get me to believe that you were not the instigator in it, that. No, I, I wasn't. Feeling, I, no, I was no, no. not being like I super bro like, bro, you're stupid. I, w- I was just like, hey, man, like, it's it's cool, but you should Bullshit. probably back off No, a he was bit. probably like 21 and was telling his friends, hey, guys, this new experience, this is great. And you just went, <laughs> loser. Like, yeah. I would never do that. <laughs> Lies. You've done I don't- it. <laughs> you, you spank me on I the ass and break my dishes. I would do that to people that are dishes. close to me like you, okay? <laughs> well. Because Esselin and his buddy Will had the opportunity to meet the locale and shoot the shit with soldiers from the French army, they wrote numerous letters to their folks saying, You know what? Kind of like the French soldiers a lot better than our own guys. Also, haven't really found a reason to hate the Germans quite yet. It was anti-war sentiment such as this that alerted the military censors reading their letters. After five months of working for the ambulance corps... Esselin and Will were arrested by the French military under suspicion of espionage. If you, if you take it one step down from I'm going to kill all of them on site, then it's just immediate. Like, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. If you're not up here, dude. Like, <laughs> you try this thing called sauerkraut. <laughs> but hey, that's fine. Just need to clear things up a little, right? I mean, there's worse things than like being arrested for espionage, like actually having to go into a war zone. Remember when treason was a punishable offense? <laughs> Well, all you got to do is talk to the commissioner in charge of reviewing the cases and explain where things went wrong. Unfortunately, the commissioner had just left on assignment five days prior and wouldn't be back until November in two months' time. But even then, Estlin and Will were held at the detainment facility for the next three and a half months. Although Estlin was only there for a short time, he met plenty of interesting characters. Like, yeah, there were rapists and murderers there, sure. But there was also, like, one Norwegian sailor who just got drunk and stole three cans of sardines from the ship pantry. I wonder how many people were laughing at him when he was saying he was going to get love letters from that prostitute. (laughs) Oh, that would have been good. Oh, no, it's a prison full of Caleb's just... (laughs) Just (laughs) dumbass. (laughs) He's like, no, 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 that's that's not how this works. (laughs) It's fine, but it's not how this works. (laughs) Oh, honey... And there was a female sector to the prison as well, but some of the women were only there to be in proximity to their husbands on the men's side. For instance, one guy was in there for I can't remember what, but his wife begged that she and her kids be placed inside. The guard told her that if she goes in, she will be treated like a prisoner. She's not going to get special treatment just because she volunteered to be in there. But according to her, she couldn't afford to take care of three kids on her own. Quote, it was better that they should grow up with their father as prisoners <laughs> than starve to death without him. Yeah, it's rough. It's a war-torn country at this it's point. It's as fuck, actually. Ugh. Well, once they were admitted, one of the kids would not stop climbing shit. Like, walls, scaffolding, fucking whatever. And out in the prison yard- Why won't yard, you just sit still and not do anything and stare at the wall? God I'm damn seven! It. <laughs> damn it! And out in the prison he yard- He found something to do. <laughs> he started climbing one of the walls, and the guard went up to the dad like, Dude, you realize your son's technically a prisoner, right? Right now he's scaling the fucking wall. If you don't get him down, I will shoot him for attempting to escape. <laughs> Fire a shot across the bow. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> Dad's just placing bets. Bet you can't. <laughs> and one time, the kid's, like, up a guard tower, and the guards are, like, just watching him, fully fucking impressed. And they're talking to the dad, like, if he falls, you know he's fucked, right? And the dad's just like, I fell out of trees when I was young. So will he. And sure enough, that's not how that works. kid falls straight on his back from very high up. Everyone's watching oh, him, like, gasping for works. breath on the ground, like, oh, fuck, what do we do? And the dad just, like, nudges the kid with his foot, like, you're okay. Everyone falls. Sure enough, kid just gets right up and starts climbing again. Now, the prison yard was essentially a mud patch with about a dozen apple trees that weren't getting any nutrition and actively dying. There was a little guard shelter, a horizontal <laughs> iron bar for Probably gymnastics. Probably just a bunch of piss. And a cannonball for a weight. It's too acidic. 
If you wanted to fuck around with the cannonball, you weren't allowed to swing it too fast because it had a habit of accidentally slipping out of the prisoners' hands when the guards walked by. It's wild they let prisoners have like <laughs> that a, kind of bludgeon. Well, like, <laughs> like, but they need like somebody well, up any, with that. Any weight is a bludgeon, but I mean, it's just like here's a single cannonball. Share it. <laughs> like, yeah, but I'm sure like if when they have prisoners go like lift weights and shit, which is wild that they let them lift weights in prison and become terrifying. But I, I, I mean, nowadays like, I get it. It's like, well, yeah, but we have automatic rifles. Like all these other precautions. <laughs> like, you're like, yeah, no, we're making sure there's nothing they can make out of. They can make shivs out of. And you're like, that guy does not need a shiv to fucking kill me. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? He's been doing nothing but lift in here for ten fucking years. You could technically knock over one of these apple trees and just use that as a bludgeon too. Just ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're imagining it from a much more real standpoint than I am, having always seen apple trees everywhere I go. What are you what are you fucking talking about? You know what? Fuck yourself. You also weren't allowed to swing on the pull bar pull up bar because if you swung too high, you'd be able to see into the women's prison yard over the partition wall. But eventually the cannonball had to be oh, taken. They're gonna have to let go of enforcing that one. <laughs> they eventually had to take away the cannonball. Because the guys figured out they could use it to break down the partition between the men and women's sides. <laughs> like, yeah. it swung out of somebody's hands accidentally, and it, like, hit the wall, and it wiggled. And they were like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the guards immediately were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and when an apple tree actually drops. It's like, this is already a very bad situation for them as well. Please do not add in, you got cancer. <laughs> When an apple tree actually dropped a withered product from its branches, prisoners would fight over it for like 20 minutes. Not because anyone wanted to eat it, but just for lack of anything better to do. But for goddammit, just just some fucking funsies. I'm gonna fuck it! (laughs) And it was while Eslin was here at the detainment center, his parents were notified that his body had been lost at sea. It took a week for the family to receive another letter that said, Oops, our bad, he's actually just in military prison. I'm so relieved and so angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eslin's dad, understandably upset with this colossal fuck-up, sent a letter directly to President Woodrow Wilson asking for his son to be released. And this would eventually reach the prison, but of course, this is all being conducted over snail mail. So while that was being handled, the commissioner of the French Detainment Center returned and basically interviewed Eslin, who pretty much said, Look, I got arrested by association. My buddy Will is the guy you want. <laughs> And at long last, the commissioner allowed Estlin to hang around the small commune of Oloron Saint Marie, where the prison was located. But I mean, he was still under suspicion of espionage, so he was followed the whole time he was there. All I said was, I haven't had enough experience to make me literally just blood red when I fucking see them yet, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Basically, instead of house arrest, he was under town arrest. And even though he was in for just a short stint, when Eslin got the clearance to leave, it was kind of a teary-eyed goodbye for everyone. All the prisoners there had really gotten along with him. And although Eslin's father was able to secure his release, Eslin... This is such a different prison system than I've come to know. (laughs) Well, the war, too, was a bit different. Like, don't worry, I'm with the ambulance corps. Oh, we won't kill you. Don't worry. We we won't even... we'll, We'll aim 20 yards that way, just to make sure that you don't get, you know, any... Any shrapnel or anything. This shit must have been so fucking frustrating for the dudes that were getting shot at. Like, oh yeah, cool. I'm glad we're being cool about this, everybody. Thank you all a lot. Don't worry, I'll just be over here, like well, dying. Although he got his uh, his release secured, Eslin didn't want to leave Paris, not without his lovely Marie Louise Lalamont. Oh, cool. We're back to it. Well, he couldn't find her. Go figure. She's a French prostitute in the early 20th century. She's got places to be. Sure, sure. So sadly, Eslin gave up his search and took a ship to New York. <laughs> arriving on New New Year's Day, 1918. His buddy Will was a little less fortunate than him, though. William Brown was transferred to a real prison in Prasine, where he would not be released for another three months. Like, not just a holding for for soldier guys, but it was like, oh, no, 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 this is is a real gotcha with a shiv prison. (laughs) It's a real gotcha with a shiv. Or a penis. Or a penis. Got him. Now, upon his return from Paris, Estlin began a love affair with a married woman two years his senior named Elaine Orr. But here's the thing. Two years? Two years. How scandalous. Yeah. (laughs) But here's the thing. Estlin was friends with her husband, performed a fucking poem for their wedding, 
When Eslin was a freshman at Harvard, he was roomed in a dormitory named after this guy's family. But that wouldn't stop Eslin. No, because nobody knew Elaine like he did. Which makes sense, since they were cousins. Oh. <laughs> okay. Kissing cousins. Now, either because of yet another filing fuck-up, or the fact that Eslin was never actually enlisted in the military, remember his job was with the Ambulance Corps, he wasn't long in America before being drafted for World War I later that year. In boot camp, he served in the 12th Regiment under General McCain, great-granduncle of U.S. Senator John McCain. Huh. Wow. A career in war. Who would have thought there was such a thing? Well, luckily, World War I quickly ended before he could actually ship out, uh, and the U.S. military had a sudden surplus of soldiers. The government disbanded the entire regiment, so Eslin was good to go home and get back to Flandern with Elaine. Well, their love affair broke up the marriage, of course, but I don't think Eslin felt too bad about it. You see, some of his most erotic poems are about this time, and I'm sure he was speaking from experience, if you know what I mean. Dude, don't... Don't pause to lick your lips at me. It just makes me uncomfortable. They can't see that. Because he fucked his cousin. Thanks, I feel better. Here's a poem of his from this era called As We Lie Side by Side. And please, remember that they are cousins as I read this to you. (laughs) you, As we lie side by side, my little breasts become two sharp, delightful, strutting towers, and I shove hotly the lovingness of my belly against you. Wait, wait, wait. Is this from a male pers- perspective? Yes. Why are breasts getting... What's, what's, <laughs> oh, he likes his nipples touched. Whatever. I don't, I don't know. know. Your arms yeah, are that's young. nipple, not breast. Your arms will convince me in the complete silent speaking upon my body. Their ultimate slender language. Do not laugh at my thighs. <laughs> there is between my big legs a crisp... I am exfoliating more. Do not worry about the ingrown hairs. <laughs> there is between my big legs a crisp city. When you touch me... It is spring in the city. The streets beautifully writhe. It Two is... cousins in a crisp city. <laughs> Autumn in the crisp city. It is for you. Do not frighten them. All the houses terribly tighten. Crunchy little cousin leaves. Upon your coming. Whoa. And they are glad as you fill the streets of my city with children. <clears throat> Maybe it is from her perspective. I think it is, dude. I think you're wrong. That's very clearly... Yeah, you're bad on that my, one for misleading uh, me. My love, you are a bright mountain which feels. You are a keen mountain and an eager island who's... Still, why does he think tits get boners? I He's never a, thought I would you say You think that they had sex ed back then? I mean, come on. Well, he fucked. He should know. <laughs> Those were love letters. <laughs> I've never seen a breast get an erection, Jordan. Hang on. Okay, let me finish this. Lively slopes... Are based always in me, which is shrugging, which is under you and around you and forever. I am the hugging sea. Oh, mountain, you cannot escape me. Your roots are anchored in my silence. Therefore, oh, mountain, skillfully murder my breasts. Still and always, I will hug you solemnly whoa, whoa, into whoa, whoa, me. Whoa, 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 whoa. The end. So, yeah, he's, <laughs> so wait, hang on. So he's talking from, I mean, clearly this is supposed to be from I believe so. her, pers- her perspective. Unless he likes so, a squirter. So he's know. talking about himself? That's super weird and egotistical. That's yeah. That's a fair point. That's like, um, that's really gross. Oh, it's the biggest thingy I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so strong and massive. It's got an elbow. <laughs> like <laughs> what? I've never had anything prehensile before. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> <clears throat> well, the couple ended up having a child that out would of be wedlock, sick, having a prehensile dong with your cousin. No. Well, the couple ended up having a child out of wedlock. Nancy Thayer Cummings on December 20th, 1919. I would also like to point out that Thayer is the last name of the guy Elaine was married to. So they not just fucked around on the guy, but gave their daughter his last fucking name. It's a good name. (laughs) And it was around 1920 that Eslin would write one of his most famous poems based on his experiences in the army. This poem is called Buffalo Bills. Buffalo, what? Nothing, go on. (laughs) Buffalo Bills, defunct, who used to ride a water-smooth silver stallion and break one, two, three, four, five pigeons just like that. Jesus, he was a handsome man. And what I want to know is, how do you like your blue-eyed boy, Mr. Death? This guy read too much James Joyce. (laughs) 
It is 1920, so yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I believe uh, Portrait of the Artist is the only thing that's come out since then, though. But still, that's that's enough, James Joyce. Like, he sounds like he's trying to do something. <clears throat> or and Dubliners, I guess. But yeah, yeah, no, he's he's definitely going to start up kind of a beatnik era with this. I Look, I'm not saying I'm not really dumb, but that did just sound like just words. Yeah, just like James Joyce. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fair. <laughs> All right. Remember, you can't read Ulysses without reading about what the fuck is going on beforehand. Now soon, Eslin moved his family with him back to the city he fell in love with, Paris, living there temporarily from 1921 to 1923. During this time, Eslin would go on to publish two books, one, an autobiography of his time spent in the French detention center called The Enormous Room. Wait, so he's just... He's just... He's just a cheating cousin fucker, and we're and he, Currently, and now he's yeah. just moving on with his life. It's yeah, wild times, <laughs> wild times. <laughs> the enormous room, published by Bone uh, Boneye and Liver Live Right in 1922, named for the big room that all the prisoners had to sleep in, basically one cell for everyone, and a collection of poems called Tulips and Chimneys, published by Thomas Seltzer in 1923. I wonder what that one's about? Tulips and chimneys. I guess you'll tell me, right? You ever get turned on by Georgia O'Keefe? Who the fuck is that? <laughs> God damn, boy. Never mind. What do you... No, don't never she, mind she, me. She You're painted, so grumpy tonight. You're cranky. She, she painted a bunch of pussy flowers. She painted a bunch of flowers that looked like pussy lips. Why would you be angry with me for not having this knowledge? It's Georgia O'Keefe. It's, I, and no, it's no, no. funny. I figured you would have known it because no, it's no, funny. No, 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 no. Let's break this down. Let's break this down. I was like, who's Georgia O'Keefe or whatever? And then you were like... She's a lady that just painted a bunch of fucking vagina flowers. Why 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 the anger there? Are these like classic classic works that I've missed out on? Like why is this I'm in the middle of withdrawal. I've only gotten <laughs> I've only gotten a few sips off my old English. <laughs> now, Thomas Seltzer was a former editor of Bone Eye and Live Right and had the same goal as his former employer. Print whatever you can to give a big fuck you to the New York Society for the suppression of vice, whom we talked about at length in our James Joyce episode. Basically, for anyone who didn't listen to it, it's just, it was a governmental agency that basically was like, this could muddy the minds of children and women. And like, whatever they didn't see fit to publish, they would burn it and give everyone a big fat fine. Women don't know about this stuff. The the FCC of their day. And I didn't notice this before, but their fucking insignia is of a guy getting arrested while another agent burns books. <laughs> I looked it up as soon as I found that out. They do sell t-shirts. <laughs> like, Holy like, shit. I was like, cool. <laughs> what are you about? Ah. <laughs> oh, you're a Nazi light. Huh. So, so suffice Diet it to Nazi. say, <laughs> Diet. it's a new Nazi. You gotta try it first. <laughs> <laughs> so suffice it to say, Thomas Seltzer had a few other things on his mind, besides the title of Eslin's fucking poetry collection. Granted, the original book was supposed to have 152 poems, of which the final product would only have about half of those, 86. And that wasn't Eslin's issue. The issue to Eslin was how the word and in tulips and chimneys was spelled, A-N-D. He didn't want that. He wanted it to be an ampersand, goddammit. You know, that little, that squiggly line thing, it's, whoosh, it's and. Holy shit, you confused me more. It's it's an ampersand. Can we Google it real quick? Yeah, pause it. Okay, fucking yeah. Just say the and fucking, symbol, you fucking dick. Like, what, that's, that's what the and symbol is called. Yeah, it's just, no, it's just called fucking and. You just see it and you're like, oh, that's the symbol for what is the, the well, three oh, letters. Oh, what's an exclamation instead. point? Oh, well, why didn't you just call it the, ah! <laughs> like, because that's what it's called, Caleb. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> fucking <damn> idiot. <laughs> Eslin wrote several letters out to Thomas Seltzer demanding he change it, but probably because he has better shit to do and also thought Eslin was more than a little annoying, left the title as is. And yeah, it, it was a stupid fucking tiff, but Eslin never forgot it. He took 41 of the 66 rejected poems from Tulips and Chimneys and published them two years later in 1925 under the title And. It was just the and symbol. It was the ampersand. That was the title. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, it was in Tulips and Chimneys that Eslin wrote his longest poem, Puella Mea, 
which in Latin means my girl. Clocking in at 290 lines, it would later go on to be published as its own book. It is, of course, all about his girl, Elaine. Now, both Wait, the is that the prostitute or his cousin? No, that's his cousin. No, okay. okay. Yeah, the, the prostitute's gone. He's moved on from, <laughs> from a French prostitute to his cousin. Mm-hmm. Brighter horizons. Moving on up. I, maybe I'm moving sideways. <laughs> now, that's bo- down. <laughs> Diagonal? <coughs> no, down. Uh, yeah, uh, actually, yes. I, I would agree with that. I'm holding that point sternly. Now, mm, hold it too stern. Fuck you. Hold it tighter. Now, both The Enormous Room and Tulips and Chimneys came out to great success. F. Scott Fitzgerald, author of The Great Gatsby, even said about The Enormous Room, quote, Of all the work by young men who have sprung up since 1920, one book survives. The Enormous Room by E. E. Cummings. Those few who cause books to live have not been able to endure the thought of its morality. And it was here that the whole world knew him by a shortened pen name, and how I will be referring to him from now on. It's no surprise that we're talking about the free-form poet E.E. E. Cummings. You ever hear of him? E. Cummings? E. Cummings! Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Just making sure. No, I fucking Okay, am. I, just I figured. <laughs> I could see the lie in your eyes. <laughs> was it just the dull? Just... No, it's just when you know something, there's a twinkle of a thought coming from your brain. It's just one synapse just being like, oh, no, I, I recognize that. Just completely dead. <laughs> and just to clear something up real quick, in most of his later works, E.E. E. Cummings would always be spelled out in lowercase letters and no punctuation. I mean, to be fair, if you don't really like, if you don't read that much then someone like wants you to read poetry you're like wow this is worse yeah of course it's stupid it's poetry don't worry yeah, about yeah. it it's it's for the learned and <clears throat> so anyways ee e. cummings was always spelled out lowercase no punctuation that wasn't a choice he made it was a stylistic decision made by one of his publishers and it just sort of stuck he wasn't actually a big fan of it he always signed his name in big boy letters now, although E.E. E. Cummings and Elaine already had a daughter, they didn't officially tie the knot until March 19th, 1924. But after only two months, they separated. According to Elaine, she was having the same issues with Estlin as she did with her last husband. He's a workaholic. In fact, her last marriage saw that her husband moved to another city just to get closer to his job, That's leaving a- Elaine behind. Ooh, yeah. It's a bit- yeah. Well, when she filed for divorce, guy didn't care. So sure enough, when Elaine still got the job, <laughs> you're a writer. You can literally do this anywhere. <laughs> like... So sure enough, when Elaine filed for divorce less than nine months from their wedding day, E.E. E. Cummings was anything but heartbroken. The only thing he cared about was getting custody of their daughter, Nancy, which like most cases back then, she was awarded to the mother instead. E.E. E. Cummings wouldn't see his daughter for another 21 years. Whatever was he to do? He's a 31-year-old bachelor living in Paris with two critically acclaimed books under his belt, and he was fucking fine. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you're not gonna... I, I, I feel like you don't stop fucking prostitutes. <laughs> you know, like, I feel like you don't just dabble in, in having sex with prostitutes, like... Oh, I tried meth once. Eh, liar. <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, sometimes you try it and you're like, you know what? Not for me. Not the same with prostitutes. <laughs> It's not a good comparison. <laughs> His time in Paris allowed him to gain a close friendship with some of the great artists of the day, among them Pablo Picasso. He also quickly became a figurehead for the avant-garde movement. He rarely used proper punctuation or spacing for that matter, leaving it up to the reader to determine how it should be read. His frequent trips to Paris, bouncing between there and New Hampshire, introduced him to Dadaism and its younger dipshit brother Surrealism leading to his more straightforward poems such as this. <clears throat> All in green went my love riding on a great horse of gold into the silver dawn. Four lean hounds crouched low and smiling, the merry deer ran before. Fleeter be they than dappled dreams, the swift deer. The swift sweet deer. Sorry, I wouldn't want to get you confused. Thank the you. red rare deer. Four red roebuck at a white water, the cruel bugle sang before. I'm not going to re- redo the <sighs> <Dude>. whole thing. <laughs> Dude, I'm I'm so sorry, but like every time you're going off onto these, like I, I, I just don't I don't like this guy's shit, and it's just turning into one solid just like sound. Like that's fine. Okay. I mean like, to to be fair, there is good poetry out there, but he's he's the James Joyce of poets. So go figure. Oh. 
Okay. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. And I'm not going to read you the whole thing for that one, but basically he went from poems like that to a strange version of slam poetry like, like this. Like the hound stuff was cool, and I guess. Like, this, oh, is, I this is perhaps his most famous poem. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever is done by only me is your doing, my darling. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world. For beautiful you are my world, my true. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud in the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than soul can hope or mind can hide. And this is the wonder that that's keeping the stars apart. I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. How'd that make you feel? Well, this dude had mad game. Like, there's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's no. I mean, no one was making something like that before and thought, yeah, I could publish that. It's just so. really surprising <laughs> to me that somebody that would, I mean, unless he's got to be pretty funky looking to not get pussy if he's writing poetry like he that. He looks like any noir villain, really. I well, mean, like, like, no, it just surprises me. It's like, out of all the options that you have here, your cousin. Even just for a little bit. Yeah, he was pretty young, though. I mean... Still! Yeah, but he wasn't a poet yet, remember? He was like... I mean, he was doing poetry, but he wasn't, like, a published poet until, like, he had... As soon as he published, they got divorced, pretty much. Which is the best time, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And and I'll be honest, I do like E.E. Cummings stuff if I'm in the right mood for it. Like, when I first read E.E. Cummings... I was visiting my grandparents in Wisconsin, and it was like fucking storm season, and it was storming hard, and it's just so warm and cozy, and my grandparents are retired, so what do they do? They wake up, and they have booze, and <laughs> and I was having booze with them, and we were all quiet and reading as it was storming outside, and we're all drunk at 8 a.m., and it was perfect. Yes. But I cannot be like, oh, fuck, man. Hand me that E.E. E. Cummings. Like, no. <laughs> Like, it's not an anytime kind of Give me of the old E. Cummings. Give me that E-how. And here's the thing about poets. They're going to print a lot of work. And I understand it is difficult because whereas somebody who writes short stories can have, say, 20 short stories in a collection, you pretty much just need to have one scene in each story that's impactful. Then people will remember that story regardless of anything else that happens in it. You know what I mean? What? You remember <laughs> you remember at the Mountains of Madness for its six-foot albino penguins and the Shoggoth attack in the cave. Oh, fuck yeah. But yeah. not the 80 pages leading up to that point. Meanwhile, poets will sometimes have up to 100 poems in a collection, and sometimes, well, fuck, they can't all be zingers. But whereas most poets wouldn't throw their work into a collection unless they were confident of its merit... No one was really sure if E.E. E. Cummings felt the same way. Did you shit post his poems? He Well, he said all his work mattered, but with his poems always being a weird jumble of words, eh, it, was, it was hard to tell exactly which ones he gave a shit about and which ones he just sort of made a word salad with and tossed it into the book, you know? As fellow poet and friend Edna St. Vincent Millay would say about E.E. E. Cummings, quote, You give Mr. Cummings enough rope. He may hang himself, or he may lasso a unicorn. That's like they're yeah, all poets. They're, that's <laughs> look, just, not all quotes can be zingers that's, that's, either. That's pretty much just like yeah, yeah. He's kind of an ass, but he's gonna make me money, so he yeah. can do whatever the fuck he wants. Like in 1926, his parents were in a car crash, taking his father's life. Quote: A locomotive cut the car in half, killing my father instantly. Well, what? I'm sorry, back that up. I was I was sipping my beer. A locomotive cut the car in half, killing my father instantly. He's talking about the uh, events that transpired, killing his killing his dad. When two brakemen jumped from, from the halted train, they saw a woman standing, dazed but erect, beside a mangled machine, with blood spouting, as the older said to me, out of her head. One of her hands, the younger added, kept feeling her dress as if trying to discover why it was wet. These men took my 66-year-old mother by the arms and tried to lead her toward a nearby farmhouse. But she threw them off, strode straight to my father's body, and directed a group of scared spectators to cover him. When this had been done, and only then, she led them. She let them lead her away. She would go on to live 21 more years, passing away on January 15th, 1947, at the age of 87. How? 
How do you get hit by a train on foot? Well, they were in a car. Oh, okay. My bad. You described it like she was standing there and then got covered in blood, so... Yeah, most people I describe as a locomotive cut the car in half. That's usually what I say. <laughs> God damn, I am not on my game tonight. <laughs> Shit. Now, in 1927, Cummings put on the play at the Princeton Playhouse in New York City called Him. In his early days of writing the story, the play was something closer to a semi-autobiography, but... After reading through two books by Sigmund Freud back-to-back, perhaps as a weird coping mechanism for his father's death, the play quickly became one of the first surrealist plays ever put on stage, or as it would come to be known, Theater of the Absurd. The play was in three acts, with a cast of 30 people, playing a total of 105 different characters. Just as an idea of what his play was like, the play opens with the doctor operating on a woman while three people in rocking chairs knit and have nonsensical dialogue. To anyone who's curious, the play is printed in paper form so you can get a copy of him by E.E. E. Cummings if you want, but me? No. And of course, since the whole fucking play is nonsense, it got shit reviews from critics from the very start. But remember, this was the first play of its kind, so people still flock to see it. It ran for 27 shows, and only stopped because it was too expensive to run. With all the crazy shit happening on stage, it meant that having a full house would ultimately lead to them just breaking even each night. Eventually, the acting troupe behind him began selling a pamphlet called Him and the Critics, for a little extra scratch, which was just all their shitty reviews printed on paper. Nice. It's a neat little souvenir. <laughs> I looked, though, couldn't find any copies floating around out there. I would have I <laughs> wanted one. On May 1st, 1929, E.E. E. Cummings married a woman named Anne Minerly Barton. He was 34, and she would have been about 31. Not a whole lot more to say about it. Now, in the 1920s alone, E.E. E. Cummings published four books. Tulips and Chimneys in 1923, Ampersand in 1925, uh, 51 Poems in 1925, and Is Five in 1926. The title is derived from one of his poems saying that love makes two plus two is five. But in this collection in particular, I I know. Fuck. Is five is perhaps one of Cummings' most famous poems, since feeling is first. Holy shit. Since feeling is first. That was a new noise. Who pays any attention to the syntax of things will never wholly kiss you. Holy to be a fool while spring is in the world. My blood approves and kisses are a better fate than wisdom. Lady, I swear by all flowers. Don't cry. The best gesture of my brain is less than your eyelids flutter which stays. We are for each other than laugh. Leaning back in my arms for life's not a f- paragraph. And death, I think, is no parentheses. What was it called again? Since feeling is first. Most of his stuff was didn't have titles, so people just called it after the first line. No, oh, okay. In 1931, E.E. Cummings traveled to the Soviet Union, detailing his adventures in the two years later uh, Later in the 1933 novel. Uh, I, it's spelled E-I-M-I. It looks like you would call it Amy, but it's actually the English letters closest to the Greek letters that spell I am. Because. Yeah. Just to be oh, fucking yeah. uh, about it. Like, <laughs> I'm not a surrealist. I'm a Dadaist. Shut up, hipster. Using the regular abstract sentence breaks and punctuation he's known for, E.E. Cummings creates an account of his one-month journey to the Soviet Union. He did this partly as a way to make the reader feel just as lost and aggravated as he did while he was there and not knowing the language. Now, at first, is going to be especially aggravated. It's it's like reading Finnegan's Wake, except you know what is happening. Like, you know what is supposed to happen, <laughs> but yeah, there's just, like, a bunch of, like, quick parentheses and shit like that, or, like, as he's walking down the stairs, it's, like, walking down the stairs, where it's, like, stair-shaped paragraph. Uh, I know, I know, I know, but, you know, hey, you know, this was 1933, all right? He was, he was, he was clearly inspired. Cringe knows no time period, <laughs> Jordan. Like, oh, shit. Now, at first- God, I've really castled myself in with these beer bottles here, <laughs> fuck, dude. You're boring the fuck out of me. I have nothing to do but drink. <laughs> and it's a problem. Get fucked. It's just a sandbox of alcohol. <laughs> oh, no. No pussy allowed. <laughs> Get out. Now, at first, he was all into experiencing something new. 
An old friend from Harvard was actually living there at the time and invited him over to show him around at, you know, at the Soviet Union. And Cummings was apolitical at the time. Had no problem with any of it. None of it? None of it. Well, but, well, at first, but after seeing how much the government was suppressing artistic freedom and how shitty the living conditions were, he got into a humanitarian debate with his friend and ended up never talking to him again. Like, in the book, he just, like, walks off and just, like, has to find housing elsewhere. He's like, I can't live with the fucker. Like, (laughs) from then on, he would only refer to the Soviet Union as hell. Originally, I Am was supposed to be a travelogue, which people could take with them on trips, help them get around the city. Instead, the book became a scathing review of Here, communism. do you feel better knowing that another person had an awkward, not fun time? <laughs> It just opens, what are you doing here? (laughs) Afterwards, although people often still see E.E. Cummings as a counterculture figure, became very right-wing. He loved the idea of McCarthyism. He loved McCarthy. He was like, yes, kill the commies. He loved it. And after five glorious years of marriage, E.E. Cummings and Anne Minerly Barton separated in 1934. What was he to do? Wait, how long? Five years. (laughs) What was he to do? He was a nearly 40-year-old bachelor, several critically acclaimed novels under his belt, winning awards left and right. He was fucking fine. It was in that same year of 1934 that E.E. Cummings shacked up with fashion model Marion Morehouse, someone he'd been friends with for a couple years by that point, and although they never formally married, would live together until his passing. I don't feel like this is the kind of guy that is just friends with... No. (laughs) <laughs> this no, is just my model no, no, friend no. what I'm, I'm just really not vibing that so what if i've got a house that you can't go to big deal it's just it's my workspace it's an office <laughs> that's just where i keep my my weird anime shit and my model side <laughs> pussy okay <laughs> like in 1935 cummings released a poem collection called no thanks self-published by ee e. cummings himself and dedicated to the 14 publishers that turned him down well, the spine of the book was at the top instead of the side, so you had to read it like a fucking legal pad. Maybe that's why they turned you down, Eslin. In the 1930s, I do like that he called and it has that. Has he though. gone like he's has he gone like hard fascist right at this point too? No, no, no. He's not like okay. he's not. Well, I. It's hard to no. That's you know what? He's line. he's Biden. No, he's Biden. Right? You know, he's <laughs> like like Ooh. yeah. I mean, I'd say he'd go as far as Nixon, but probably not Reagan. About as fucking coherent as well. So. <laughs> this kind of reads like a Reagan speech, actually. Where am I? Are you my daughter? <laughs> I'm sorry, I wouldn't want wouldn't to make fun of, of Reagan. And then when I say walk down the stairs, it, it moves. It, when, you look, when you look at... When it, it, it goes down a- like a step. It, and it, <laughs> what? And... He slowly starts turning into George Bush. <laughs> you know what they say? You fool me once, you can't get me twice. No, that's not what he said. Remember? No, I know, no, I know no. what he fucking said. No, I was... no, no, no. Because that's so much better than what you said. <laughs> <laughs> fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. You, you can't fool you me can't twice. You can't fool me twice. <laughs> So adorable, man. I miss when, him. <laughs> when I know when he left, I was like, I'm gonna kind of miss the amount of news I was getting on a, on our president. Remember thinking that and was then- <laughs> the worst thing ever, and right? just how and looking back, and you're just like, that's so adorable <laughs> that I thought that. I know, like, holy I was like, well, shit. no one's gonna be worse than that guy. In nineteen 19- <laughs> in the 1930s, Cummings had altogether published three collections. Viva in 1931, No Thanks in 1935, and Collected Poems in 1938, which was just a collection of his earlier works plus a few new ones since his last published work was three years earlier. In 1944, Cummings released a book called One Times One, which has some poems that can be a bit bleak. Remember, he wasn't a fan of war when he was in World War I. Now that World War II was coming to a close, Cummings only saw shit getting worse. Among these poems is one of Cummings' most well-known, Pity This Monster, Man Unkind, which, before you ask, was indeed the inspiration for the 2016 song Man Unkind by Metallica. I don't like Metallica. Me neither. (laughs) 
but especially it was like, not 2016 Metallica. Holy shit! Oh, the shit. good years. <laughs> God damn, dude. Look, it was on the Wikipedia page. I thought it was funny. Look, post, anyways, post Cliff Burton, it's ass. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't even know who the fuck that is. It's I the guy who made it good, and then he dies. <laughs> never good. Doesn't matter. No, 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 no. Fuck you. Kill them all was fucking good. Kill them all was no, good. No, no. Okay, we're gonna look at this from the perspective of like E. E. Cummings. Was it good for the time? Or looking back on it, is it still good? No, no, no. Kill them all still good. <laughs> Ride the lightning. Look, eh. Look, when I, have a, pretty good. when I have a 16-year-old someday, I'm going to prove you wrong and be like, listen to this shit. And he's going to be like, father. When you, by the time you have sucks. a child and it's 16, he will have ascended so far past that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, here's, here's the poem. Pity this monster, man unkind. <sighs> Holy fuck, bud. <laughs> Should we get a rapid test? How you doing? Should we be in the room <laughs> right now? <clears throat> Pity this busy monster, man unkind. Jesus. Not. Progress is a comfortable disease. Oh my Your God. victim, death in life, safely beyond. Plays with the bigness of his littleness. <laughs> Electrons. I play with the bigness of my littleness <laughs> all the fucking time. Stop it. <laughs> Electrons. Defy one razor blade into a mountain range. Lenses extend, unwish through curving where when, till unwish returns on itself. A world of made is not a world of born pity, poor flesh, and trees, poor stars and stones, but never this fine specimen of hyper-magical ultra-omnipotence we doctors know. A hopeless case if, listen, there's a hell of a good universe next door. Let's go. It sounds like a Bloodborne note. How do you manage to shoehorn that into every conversation? <laughs> Look, I'm a simple man. <laughs> I go to work. I come home. <laughs> I play Bloodborne. I play Bloodborne. From releasing four books in the 1920s to releasing three in the 1930s, E.E. E. Cummings released just two books in the 1940s. 50 poems in 1940 and one times one in 1944. He was definitely slowing down. Now, nobody really talks about this, but Cummings was actually a fantastic artist. He mostly dealt with ink and charcoal drawings, but I highly recommend people go check his stuff Wait, out. He, he did that shit, too? I thought he was yeah. just a poet. No, he, he, I, I didn't know it either until I was looking at the stuff, but yeah, he was actually a fantastic artist. Hmm. I think he could have earned artistic merit on his drawings alone, actually. Uh, I mean, he was he was hanging out with Picasso and other people in the scene. Why not? But in 1946, he was, through a weird series of events commissioned to do a portrait of his own daughter, Nancy. Oh. And during his painting session with her, just in a casual conversation, he's like, weird. he's like, hey, did you know I'm your dad? And she had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Is it this too? Is it this portrait? You know, shit, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> that's her face. Oh, that's probably her just shocked, like, what? <laughs> Wait, no, I need a different expression to work with here. Hang on. Hey, did you know I'm your fucking dad? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> like, she, she thought the guy whose middle name she had, Thayer, was her dad. Elaine's ex-husband before E.E. E. Cummings. Wait, how did he know? He's... Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> Proceed. He tried, to get, he tried to get custody of her. And she'd been doing just fine, by the way. She was currently married to the grandson of Theodore fucking Roosevelt, and would later go on to marry this crazy archaeologist. Well, anyway, this chance meeting with Nancy allowed Cummings to meet his grandkids for the first time, and he kept contact with her for the rest of his life. And from this meeting, E.E. E. Cummings was inspired to write a new play, one about the morality of man, and holding on to the things which are important to you. And I'm not going to go into it, because... The the play is called Santa Claus, and it's about Santa Claus and death trading jobs for a day, and it sounds like it would have been hilarious, but it's not. Dude, maybe it's just the way you're describing it. I've consistently <laughs> no, no, hated this guy's shit throughout this entire right. episode. Right, well, exactly. Like, it's not even, I, it's, it's not hate that, like, draws a response that I can use to have a conversation with you with energy. It literally drains me uh, right, right. when I no, hear this here's shit. Here's the thing, when his play, Him, was supposed to be semi-autobiographical or whatever... And it's just cuckoo bananas. It sounds like unintentional Tim and Eric 
Oh man, Tim and Eric's way better. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, because it's intentional. No, man, the shit on their cutting room floor would do better. But that's the thing is, like, it's a play. Like he tells you, it's a play about Santa Claus and death trading jobs. And I'm like, I am there. We are gonna get stoned, and we are gonna go see this tonight. But no, it's 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 a fucking philosophical play, and it's boring. And I'm salty. You're gonna go, it. and you're like, man, I wish I would have stayed home and made nachos. Yeah. So if you're inclined, go read it yourself. But I refuse to. In the 1950s, Cummings released three works. Uh, fuck. Care, 71 poems in 1950. Poems, 1923 to, uh, 23 to 1954 and 1954, which was, again, just another collection of earlier poems, plus a few new ones from the last few years, and 95 poems in 1958. Um, so, care is like, I am, Greek letters anglicized to their closest English equivalent, although... Spelled X-A-I-P-E, it's pronounced care, which in Greeks means greetings, be well. I believe you. Yeah. Now, in care are a couple of problematic poems, which I will read to you now. <clears throat> One day, a blank caught in his hand a little star no bigger than not to understand. Oh, is it the no-no word? It is. Oh. I'll never let you go. Hey, everybody, remember, he went hard right. <laughs> Until you've made me, I'll never let you go until you've made me white. So she did, Fuck! and now stars shine at night. <laughs> the stars will always shine because, you know, black guy's never going to turn white. I really like how you, like, built me up there, and I was, like, Googling, like, his, like, <laughs> his charcoal paintings and stuff. And I was like, okay, maybe this guy isn't boring as shit. And then I was like, ah! Uh, now, you know the K word for a Jewish person, yeah? Yes, yes. All right. The other one goes like this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. A K-word is the most dangerous machine as yet invented. Be even Yankee ingenue, itty. Be out of a few, out of a Jew a few, dead dollars and some twisted laws. It comes both prigged and canted. Now, but look, the, it means nothing. That took more years away from my life than my <laughs> drinking problem. It, it means nothing, and yet... He's still like, he's like, oh, I better be offensive about it. Is he just trying to get views at no, this point no, or uh, however, well, whatever the equivalent of that back then is? According to him, he wrote these poems as a way to show that one racial slur is not better than another. Which one, wrong. But two, people were turning away from Don't calling. Don't act like you couldn't have put a disclaimer on it. You did this <laughs> intentionally, you fuck. People were turning away from calling ba uh, black people the N-word and Jewish people the K-word, and yet people were still saying things like Mick or Chink or anything else. So supposedly, oh. Oh. supposedly, oh. he was trying to say, why stop at one if you won't stop at the rest? Great message. You didn't need to do it that way. <laughs> it's it's wild that you can have such a crazy use of the English yeah. language and then not be able to fucking read anything about that topic. Here's the thing. This would be a great message, except in his 1922 book, The it's Enormous not. Room, he drops the N-word a couple of times without prompt. Like, not quoting anybody or anything. It's like, it's how he message. describes something. It's not. <laughs> what? What do you mean it's a good message? To not to not call anybody anything he's bad. He's saying... I get it. Are like, you fu he, No, he's saying that... Oh, but he is he is saying, like, oh, they're all class-ass drugs, basically. Whereas, you know, it's no, like... No, it's yeah. not. No, no, no. no. The, fuck, the fucking N-word and then the Jew word... The Jew, word. <laughs> the Jew word are not are are equal to calling an Irish guy a fucking Mick. I know. Yeah. No, they're not at all. Like, like, like e even in context of the time, that's not a good no, message. No. Like, <laughs> of course not. Like, and that's what I'm saying is like I I get his message is don't be shitty to how anybody. Old is he at but this point, I, look, he was born a what 1894 something like this. This is in the 50s, so he's in his 60s. Okay, he's losing it. But he's been through the times. He is losing. He's fucking I, I, losing. I, it. I don't know, but yeah. So, <laughs> oh, um, yeah. At the at the end of the enormous room, on top of this, uh, like all this, don't don't be mean to others and don't don't be shitted to other people. At the end of the enormous room, he refers to America as land of the flea and the home of the dag, short for dago, of course. I mean, he became a different person in the 28 years since the enormous room. Maybe I don't know. What the fuck is a dago? It's a it's an Italian. You Thank know. You. Okay, now that dago I'm... wap guinea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's still just like, bro. <laughs> well, those are fine. That's for Italians. Yeah, but <laughs> see, not equal. The first poem in his final collection, 95 poems, is I. 
a leaf falls onlyness. Ugh. The the way it's written mimics the action of a leaf falling and a reflection of one's loneliness. Actually, hang on one second. I haven't hated anything you've shown to me more than this. It, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. I, oh, sorry, it's L, a leaf falls. Oh, there we go. He's, uh, kinda, he's a, he's so a right-wing racist cousin So this is, how, this is the whole poem. A leaf falls loneliness. You see how it goes? It, it all goes Holy down like- shit. This guy is to blame for live, laugh, love. <laughs> it's his fucking fault. <laughs> yeah, he, he's to blame for live, laugh, love, and Comic Sans, too. Why don't we throw that in there? And 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 he says the N-word. Well, as as much as you may make fun of it, this was the type of wordplay that cemented E.E. E. Cummings into the pantheon of, of poetry. I mean, whether it did or not, it doesn't uh, mean Yeah. I'm just saying that sucks that it did. <laughs> Throughout the 50s, Cummings spent his life traveling and speaking at ceremonies, becoming the most recognized name in poetry in the United States, right behind Robert Frost. In 1959, at the age of 64, Cummings won a grant from the Ford Foundation for $15,000 for his lifetime of work. With this, he managed to enjoy his final years at his family home of Joy Farm at Silver Lake in New Hampshire. On September 3rd, 1962, Edward Estlin Cummings passed away from a stroke at the age of 67. His partner of almost 30 oh, years... Oh, wait, no, he wasn't losing it. He just sucked. Yeah. <laughs> his partner of almost 30 years, Marianne Morehouse, held on to his memory until her death on May 18th, 1969, seven years later. Joy Farm was later added to the list of National Historic Landmarks in 1971 in commemoration. My sources today, The Enormous Room by E.E. E. Cummings, Modern Library, Inc., 1949, I Am by E.E. E. Cummings, LiveWrite Publishing Corporation, 2007, 100 Selected Poems by E.E. E. Cummings, Grove Press, Inc., and Random House, Inc., 33rd Printing, 1977, A Selection of Poems by E.E. E. Cummings, Harcourt, Brace, and Cord, Inc., 1965, in Wikipedia. Is it over? You can follow us on Twitter at Caleb Can't Read. You can go on to CalebCan'tRead.com, uh, and uh, you can see our sources on the Facebook page. Caleb Can't Read Sources page. <sighs> All right. Okay. New rules. Hmm. New rules. Okay. You know how I'm not allowed to pregame anymore because of the, disaster, <laughs> yeah. the disasters that have happened? <laughs> and I stuck to that. Yeah. Except for that one time. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty good. Pretty good stats for me okay pretty yeah. good percentages mm -hmm. for yeah. me all right yeah, i yeah. want you to know that that actually means i care quite a bit <laughs> okay um new rule we are not allowed to meet up the day before and have a hangover that carries us all the way into the next fucking evening honestly that's why i'm excited for us to hit stop on this so that i can drink and kill them <laughs> <laughs> just, just get it out dude like no man it's um but you know, yeah, E.E. E. Cummings really became like the beatneck generation. Like he was the poet. Like he's a reason that you have people on bongos and cafes being like, "I am a leaf." Fucking cringe. <laughs> I am cringe. <laughs> oh my god, white people drum circles. But, no, I mean he needed to happen Fuck though. That. He's the reason that we have that one Tumblr uh, poet that did Milk and Honey. It's a really bad book. But anyways, all the white Dude. girls were buying it up at their local targets for a long time. I can't remember why, but anyways. I have not disliked going over anyone as much as this man. Oh, man, you know, and we're I'm going to hit I'm, some, some rough no, spots. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, this guy, I have never disliked, but been so disinterested at the same fucking time <laughs> with anyone that you fucking brought up. I'm glad you enjoyed our episode today. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> Look, if if anyone's made it this far, I doubt it. I, I don't think I don't think this is gonna be. I think the first fucking like 15 minutes or so, they're gonna be like, "Yeah, this is an awful one," <laughs> like, and just not fucking go. Because like we would like take we like took a break and like went and fucking got coffee and shot the shit, and we were like, "Oh yeah, having a great fucking time," and then came back and we're like. Fuck. Because <laughs> like, I had to stop drinking. <laughs> Look, just don't break my shit, okay? I'm not going to break your Listen, shit. Listen, you act like this is a thing I do. It's, it's not starting a thing to become a habit. No, I did it one time. That's the only time I've broken your shit. 
once isn't a habit? No, it's not. I've no, only caught actually... yourself touching yourself once, but you know what? I know it's a habit. It's, that does not. Oh, ap- that does not apply uh, to accidentally breaking listen, glass. Listen, if you're here now with us, just listening to us, I just want people to subscribe, hit a button or something. It's not gonna like if you get an alert that there's a new episode or something. It's not gonna fucking fuck up your life. It's what gonna would, be fine. But what you know would be what? Way it more fun us. is if you find some kind of fallacy in what Jordan has looked up and then messages about. Yeah, it. fucking message. And then me. we will absolutely bring that up. I've in gotten episode. zero dick pics. Zero dick pics. Back to the dick pics. At CalebCan'tRead at gmail.com. Please, I mean... Zero. The f- the best thing you could do would be to give a detailed description of his mistake, and then down at the bottom have dick pics. You know what I've gotten ha- have been emails be really of funny. people like, hey, like your show, but um, I think I could help you if you pay me money. I can really... And it's like, oh, um, no. I usually send them a dick pic back, but... Well, you don't want to go take a <laughs> class for podcasting? <laughs> No, they just want me to pay them so that they'll put advertisements up. Oh. I don't want to advertise like that, no. No, no, that's no. like pay-to-play, that's lame. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anywho, <sighs> suck it. Yep, deuces. <laughs>